Church. If you've been following along with us, we are in a series, a wisdom series centered in the book of Proverbs. And today for this section, we will conclude, by God's grace, our wisdom series. Wisdom and, and our and today is humility. Wisdom and humility. We are looking at this as an everyday faith. It's wonderful to have some theology. It's wonderful to have the theory, to have the philosophy, but how does it apply into our everyday life? And I think, and I propose to you, that the discussion on humility is a difficult one. It's a great Christian word, right? If you ask people to take a sheet of paper out and say, write down Christian words, somewhere on that paper, humility would likely come. But the actual essence of humility, I think, is really difficult. It's not so easy. And by God's grace, our goal today is to meditate on it. Like we would in our own homes, meditate on humility. I'll I'll say it in advance, there's a dear brother here today who gave me a wonderful book on humility by C.J. Mahaney, True Greatness. The title is actually Humility, so I love to tell you about good books to read. Uh, I have borrowed uh, liberally from this uh, from a brother more capable uh, than I. And I want to thank you, brother, for that. It has been helpful. We're on the third reading, and maybe after several more, we'll start to uh, be able to apply it even better. Proverbs 22.4. We have one verse for our text today. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, reads as follows. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Let's read it again, maybe get it in our minds because it's short. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The reason we selected this verse, we could have selected others, is it is my belief, it is my conviction that we don't see humility as a value add often. We see it as one of those things maybe we have to do or maybe those things that we're supposed to be, but we have some negative reason, some negative connotation. We forget that God's wisdom is for our good, for our benefit, for our eternal reward. Therefore, what he asks us to do, he equips us to do, but he asks us to do it for our good. Not because in some way he wants to make things harder for us, to take away what would give us joy, but to give us the skill sets, the practices that will eventually remove the real pain, the everlasting pain, and replace it with real joy and everlasting reward. So that is one of our takeaways right now. So just get it in our heads, let's kind of wrap our minds around it that Humility is there for very, very good reasons to get us to look at the power of this, to get us to riches and honor and life. I still believe that some of the other Proverbs and the sayings of the Proverbs are easier. Well, if you have a little work ethic, you can do this. If you're not slothful and lazy, you get this. We're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't do this and I get this. If I save a little bit, I can accumulate some in my savings. Those are easy Proverbs. The proverb of humility, we say, where's the reward here? Where's the end? It's a difficult one 
for us. Many of the challenges that I believe happen to us are things that we think that we're reacting to. This issue of humility is one that is inside. We are dealing with our own hearts. Sometimes our minds and our words might say one thing, but humility, we're getting past that. We've got to get to the surface. Off past the surface, we've got to get in to the heart. Some uh, quotes that might amaze you. We've got a couple today, so if you like to take notes, pay attention. Ralph Waldo Emerson, kind of a surprising individual, uh, has a quote that says this, speaking about his grandfather. His grandfather speaking, he says, My children, my grandfather said, you will never see anything worse than yourselves. Sounds like a wise grandfather. My children, grandpa said, you will never see anything worse than yourselves. And the reason that that is true, and the scripture bears this out, because by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can start to see inside the places we don't let others see, and we know what's really there. What's really, really there. And that's the worst that we're ever going to see. You know, D.L. Moody, a pretty famous right evangelist, said it the same thing, but just said it differently with different words. He says it this way, I've had more trouble with myself than any other man I have ever met. (laughs) I liked it too, Chuck. I have had more trouble with myself than with any other man I have ever met. D.L. Moody was wrestling with himself, fighting with himself, arguing with himself, in conflict with himself. I'm sick and tired of you. I'm not spending any more time with you if you're going to be like that. Why even strive for humility? We saw one side of it here. We saw maybe a little bit the reward. If we believe in the promise of Scripture, the, the writer of Proverbs did not write it for no reason. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. There is a reward. But if we don't have it, we have something else. If we don't have humility, by definition, we will have pride. And pride is a big word and helpful to us, I hope. I'm going to kind of characterize when you hear the word pride today. Go ahead and add two words, self righteous which I kind of like that word because you don't see the world using the word righteous very often, right? But there's one place you'll see a lot of people who have no faith in God, who have not read scripture at all, will say this, man, that person's self-righteous. Kind of get this idea of why is that wrong? Well, they think they're good. They think they're good in themselves. They're self-righteous. They know intuitively that there's something wrong with that because they like to use the word pride well. We need to have pride in ourselves. Matter of fact, if you read a lot today, you will find this entire theory going around that pride is good. What do you mean the Bible says don't have pride? Well, that's ridiculous. Pride is healthy. Pride is what builds us up, what gives us our oomph, what gives us our, you know, our energy to take over and, and move forward. There will be many, many teachers today that will say that pride, full on, is a good thing. So the opposite of humility is pride and self-righteousness. And the issue there, we don't have time maybe to get into it all, but please do your homework and study it out. Be like the Bereans and see if what you hear is accurate and true. 
And by God's grace, we pray that it is. It is the earliest of sins. And it is the pervasive sin. It is the sin of Lucifer, the angel who was given many, many gifts, talent, and beauty. And it is a pride that brought him down. And all, if you think it through and if you study it out, we will see that all other sins have their foundation in pride. Whether it's the lust for this life, whether it's getting our own way, whether it's stealing or murdering, whatever we want, whatever we get, it is a pride that I deserve it. It's reasonable. It's fair to me. There is a justification, a rationalization that always comes down to my importance, who I am. So it is the earliest of sins. As a matter of fact, let's just kind of read something here. Let's turn to Isaiah, if you like. You're just turning a couple um, books to your right. Isaiah chapter 14. The prophet Isaiah is writing here about a king, king of Babylon. But many of the scholars would say that this is one of those passages in scriptures that goes deep and wide. It is also speaking in a big picture of what Satan, devil Lucifer himself, fell. And how even kings will fall in like manner. Verse 12, just a couple verses in chapter 14 of Isaiah How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And we might say that that is not where we would go. I would encourage us, I would beg us to think differently. That is where we naturally go. And that is where we all stand on our own. The writer of Proverbs says it another way when he's talking about pride versus humility. He says it this way, gives us the converse of it. And often that is helpful. In chapter 16, verse 18, it's recorded for us this way. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So is it critical? Is it important? Yes, it is. The humility will give us life and reward and riches and honor. And pride will give us nothing but destruction and will take us down into a fall. These are guarantees. These are promises. But the issue is it's not always today or we don't see it today. We don't see the end of our actions today, but they will come. And we need to remember it. And is it important? I think it is. I wrote it down for myself this way in our notes. In Christ, we have the complete embodiment and the complete visual of humility. What Christ was exhibiting for us in this life was a life of humility. God himself came down to this earth 
to serve his father willingly, not because he was less, but because he humbled himself. The key attribute of Jesus Christ that allowed for salvation for a world that did not deserve it was his humility, his willingness to be humble. His heart was a heart of humility. So if we want to be like Christ, we are going to have to grapple with this and come in like manner, to be sanctified with him. And the reason in the opposite is because Satan himself, the adversary of our souls, the one who we start captive with, who has an anchor, who has the chain, his very embodiment is pride. Remember, Satan didn't get to where he got because of his lack of ability, his lack of gifting. He is smarter, faster, more intelligent than any one of us. But it is his pride that destroyed everything. And he is trying one thing. Every single thing he tries is one way focused to get to our pride. Every way he attacks us is based on one thing, to get us to be more like him and to come to our pride. Every temptation that comes to us comes from him, the father of lies and the embodiment of pride. So what we're dealing with is, are we going to be like Christ and come in his way, or are we going to be like Satan? These are not small issues. They are big issues, and they need to be grappled with. This will make sense to you, but it's good to hear it. We cannot come to Christ for our salvation without humility. We know this, we understand this, we believe this. We need humility for two reasons. Why? To acknowledge our sin. Can we acknowledge our sin on our own? Does that humility, does that ability come from within us? No, we would rationalize it all day long. We need God's grace, his spirit, his Holy Spirit coming into us to say, you have sin, you have fallen short of the glory of God. And number two, that we need a substitute. I can't do it, I need somebody else. So we come to Christ by the fact that we've ever been saved, that we are his children, it is humility that has reigned in us. And it is God who's brought that. But often then we build off of that, right? We maintain we don't always build the same way. We start to build off of what we do and what we're accomplishing. And look what I've done. If we came to Christ with a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, if humility is what brought us there, my friends, it is humility that will keep us there. It is in the perseverance, it is a daily acknowledgement of our brokenness. A daily acknowledgement, not some historic past sin, but today's sin. And that for today, except by the grace of God and his mercy and his sovereign power, I would not take one more step forward. If we came this way, we need to continue this way. And we say amen, but sometimes it's difficult. And that is what the rest of our time will be. Maybe some practical application because we can maybe say, okay, preacher, I get it. I'm on board. I, I wish I could continue that way. So one of the things, we'll wait a little bit, but we'll get to it here right now, a definition of humility. I think we get this wrong often. This is a layperson's definition of it. You can construct it in another way if you like, but the essence of it is this. It is thinking of ourselves as we actually are. 
Not thinking less of ourselves. Definitely not thinking more of ourselves. But thinking of ourselves as we actually are. It was written this way by an individual who came before us. True humility is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real and your full height, at the height that God made you, and in the tallness of your height, to compare yourself to the grandeur of God and realize that in our greatness, how small we really are. God does not need people just bending over in some type of just lowering of the shoulder and saying, I'm five foot two, if you will, if God made me 5'11". 5'11 is what I am. At 5'11", 6'8", 27'4", I don't care if we're a billion feet tall. It's irrelevant because we stand to our full height. We come nothing compared to God himself. So be who I am. Recognize who I am. A creature made by God, made wonderfully and miraculously made but a creature of his that is dependent on our maker. We cannot even grasp his holiness and his transcendence, but stand at our full height and at our full height realize how small we are. That is, I believe, a working definition of the essence of humility? Is it helpful if we talk a little bit about what humility is not in everyday life? I think it is. So I'm going to take the no response as an affirmation, keep going. I do that a lot. You're probably thinking stop, but I'm taking it as a keep going. What humility is not? A couple, three things. If you want to write them down, one, two, three. One, humility is not being a doormat. You hear people discuss these things and debate these things. It may look like it at times because we take the lower way, but it is not being a doormat. I mean, here's what I'm going to define as a doormat. We do not just assume that everybody is just right, that we are always wrong, that we don't know anything, and everybody else knows more. And so whatever everybody else says, that's what we're going to go do. We are not to put aside our thinking. We're not to put aside our critical thinking. We're not to put aside the opinions and thoughts that God gave us. It is not just be a doormat and everybody else. Humility is not that. We know that Jesus was the embodiment of humility. I've said this. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 is a great verse. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. But what did Jesus do? Jesus, who came down, Jesus who died on a cross, who suffered humiliation. The essence of humility is the idea of being humiliated. He was humiliated, right? Deeply spit upon, hit, bruised, sat in front of judges and didn't have a word for them. But this same Jesus stood up to the Pharisees. This same Jesus said that that is wrong. You cannot do that. This same Jesus went into the money changers and he threw it out. And he said, there will not be this in my father's house. Apostle Paul was the same way. Following after his Lord in Christ. Beaten and suffered and did it joyfully on many levels. Humiliated at every turn. But at the same time would stand up to leaders. If, he, if individuals would say that this is true. And he would say that is not true. That is what I used to think. But this is true, that the Messiah has come, that Jesus is the Messiah. And in his confidence in what God has put in the Old Testament and what God has revealed for him, he even wrote letters to correct churches and to work with them. 
No, I'm not saying that we're all apostles and we're here to write, but I am saying that when we look into Scripture, we stand up for truth. And we stand up for it the way God would like us to. Humility is not someone who refuses to deal with conflict or to give correction. Our brother Peter said this a couple times from the pulpit, and he's absolutely right. If you really love somebody, one of the evidences that you will in gentleness, and by esteeming them higher than yourselves, you will give them a word of correction. Not one to take them down, but one to assist them on their way to be all that God intended them to be. That's difficult, isn't it? So we think we're being humble when we don't help somebody that way, when we don't give a word of instruction, a word of help. I've been in that situation. I made the same mistake. You are making a mistake if you go down this road. Let me help. It is not humility to say, oh, what is my place? It's going to take wisdom, though, isn't it? Because real quickly, you go the other way. Real, real quickly. Start telling everybody else what to do, how to do it. I know everything. God leaves us in these conundrums at times. Number three. So it's not a doormat, not someone who refuses to get involved in conflict or instruction. And number three, for sure, it is not a lack of conviction or a passion for the truth. A humble individual is not someone who's always quiet, has no conviction, has no passion. Seeing somebody sitting there dead on a log, that is not necessarily, it can be at a moment, but it's not necessarily humility. Seeing somebody passionately arguing a point is not necessarily pride. Friends, I will tell you that as we continue on this life and as the world continues where we're going, the believers in mass, the Christians in totality, will be accused of being some of the most arrogant and prideful people anywhere. If you say that Jesus Christ is the only way, that there is only one way to heaven, I am the way, the truth, and the life, by definition, you will be being accused of being proud and arrogant. Say it sometimes, find out. If you're not evangelizing enough or sharing enough, you might not know this. But when you, find, when you do, you will find out that you will be accused of pride and of arrogance. Being accused of pride and of arrogance is not showing that we have no humility. It is in what we are speaking on. And it is where our conviction comes. Taking a stand on what the Bible has clearly defined as right and wrong having saying, I don't know, what is your way is your way. In a world that is continually syncretistic and is pluralistic and moral relativism is raging, do whatever you want, however you want, always are right, always lead to God. When you stand up and say, I don't believe that, I don't think that that's right, I think that that individual could go to hell that way. Unless they know Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, you will be and I will be accused of being very, very proud and arrogant. Being accused is different than being. Yes, we want to care what our brothers and sisters who have the Holy Spirit, we want to take that instruction. But we want to be more careful to say, are we humble before God? And are we doing what he said in his will? And is our heart right? I don't know this person, but I came across this quote. I'd really encourage you to write it down because it summarizes what we just said here. Estelle Smith, I need to study her up a little bit because 
This was, to me, extremely powerful. She said it well this way. Humility is strong, but not bold. Quiet, but not speechless. Sure, but not arrogant. See the distinctions in these things? Let me say it again. Humility is strong, but it is not bold. It is quiet, but it is not speechless. It is sure, but it is not arrogant. Those subtle differences make all the difference. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So if this is our goal, how can we grow in humility? I have seven quick things for you here, and then we're going to do seven very, very quick things of how to put humility in action. And we hope that these things will be helpful to us. So how can we grow? First, we must want it. Sounds simple and straightforward, but I don't think it is. This is one I wrestled with, you know, what it is. We must want it. Don't take offense, but I'm speaking from my heart. I'm speaking to what I believe. I believe that the church in mass, if you will, the universal church, the one that calls itself the church, I'm not convinced that the vast majority of Christians actually want a life of humility, particularly those in North America and maybe Europe. I'm more convinced that individuals want to say and maybe be thought of as humble, but without actually doing the hard work of creating a life that is characterized by humility. I say this by personal experience as I look at my own life. I say this by personal experience by many I spend time with. I say this by the study of scripture. Our nature will not be one to wake up on a Tuesday morning on this everyday faith and say, what do you want more than anything today? Oh, I want to be humble. If I documented our prayers it would, I'm sure, be more of, I need this, I would like this, could I have this, could you assist me with this, I got this issue, I've got this heartache, I got this financial need, I got that. Okay, if we're thinking some other way, can you help this person come to faith, can you help this guy, can you intervene here? I am not sure that the prayer is, Lord, grant me humility. Lord, bring me there. Because I need your reward, I need your riches, I need your life. So the simple one is we have to want it. It will not happen on its own. We need to recognize that it's counter to our character. That's where our whole verse, Proverbs 22.4, comes in. You know another fantastic one? It's, it's way Christ himself said it. Let's turn to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning to it, first book of the Second Testament, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up in a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, and the first thing he said is this in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being poor in spirit is another phrase here of meekness, and meekness is kind of implying to us, bringing in to us this humility, this broken heart. He actually says it that way in verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. So look at it, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You're talking about the kingdom of heaven and inheriting the earth, the meek and the poor in spirit. That is what Proverbs 22.4 said to us. So we need to want it. We need to believe that this is the way to get to where God wants us to get, to have everlasting 
reward with him. We are so trained to go get what we want, to go get what we need, and it is by our intellect, it's by our ability, it is by being the first one into the office and the last one to leave and being a little bit tighter and a little bit better and a little bit faster. Everything's a little bit more about us, and that's the way to get. Being just a little smarter with what is going to happen in the future. We'll get everything we want that way. And Christ is teaching the other way. Can you be poor in spirit? Can you be meek in your heart? And you will have the kingdom of heaven and you will inherit the earth. So first, we need to believe that those are true statements. Right? Remember I said that we're going to meditate today? If I was at home meditating right now, and I would encourage you, this is now we're, now we're getting a little just practical instruction. What you do right now is you can't read over that and go, okay, all right, that's cool, I got that. Right there is one of those times to stop and say, how in the world, Lord, does the meek inherit the earth and the poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven? I don't actually get that. What does that mean? How does that work? And then we meditate. And then we pray. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to show us. And we study his scripture and we go back and forth. And that is meditation. Not just even just a memorizing of the verse or kind of having a general vague knowledge of it, but getting, what does that mean? So that was what our goal is today. So these, uh, that first one, the goal, the vision, the, the desire, the belief in it are characterized by the following six. And I expect to hit these quickly for you. Here are six key practices that will help us to want it and to believe it. First one is pray and pray for what? Pray for faith. Pray for faith to believe that God is actually protecting us and that it is God who is growing us. He is building our best life. He is building the life that if we could see and we could want and if we could understand it his way, we would say, oh, That's the life I want. That's my best life. You know, you hear the books, right? Your best life now. Our best life now comes when we believe and we, but we can't get there unless we pray, Lord, help my unbelief. That the circumstances, that the trials, that the things that hit me, the negative things, that you are protecting me when I need protection and that you're assisting me to grow so I can have my best life and my future. That faith, that belief in that changes a lot. So prayer of faith. Number two, meditate specifically on the cross. The knowledge of what Christ did for you and me on the cross, why he had to come for me individually, that he had to suffer and die, not only be humbled to become a man, how ridiculously low was that? But to become a man and to be accused and to die on a cross for my sin, the only righteous, perfect, blameless God himself taking the form of a servant, taking the form of a criminal, taking all God's wrath for my sin. If we sit at the cross and meditate on what the cross means, it will be a great tool to wipe away our pride and to bring us to humility. Here's a truism in life. It works for kids, but it works because we know it does because it works this way for us. 
if God sat here and rebuked us all the time, right, and we try this ourselves, we say, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, what do we tend to do? Oh, really? You start to get defensive. Well, let me prove to you. When God says, you're so wrong, it's not even funny how wrong you are, but I'm going to make it right for you. I'm going to give you mercy when you deserved justice. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve so you can have what I have. When someone does that to you, what's the reaction? It's humbling. Meditating on the cross will get us there. If we're not used to meditating, we're not used to doing this, we need to ask God's Holy Spirit to help us meditate on the cross, and it will assist us. You know what? It's a great passage. I'm going to take the time. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually, chapter 1, I believe. I think Paul starts this off in the church in Corinth. I think uh, my notes are wrong. Um, Yeah, verse 26 in chapter 1. Here's what he's saying to the church at Corinth. For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? We sing that song, don't we? Amen. That when we're at the cross, we realize that it is not our strength, it is not our nobility, it is not our wisdom, it is not our intellect, it is not our riches, it is not anything that we bring but what God did for us. A little more practical, the third one. Begin the day with the Holy Spirit. Verbalize it, say it. I need you, God. Today I have confidence in your plans for me. The reason that this is important, we're hearing voices all the time. Think about this the next time you get up. Get up in the morning and just kind of sit there, and if you start, first thing you do is brush your teeth and you get up or whatever you do. Start your day and think about it. Just pay attention for a second and try, if you can, stop and see what's running through your mind. Voices are running through our mind, and they're saying things like fear, anger from what happened last week that is still there, frustration, anxiety, our plans. These are all voices that we are listening to. I believe God wants us to have good habits, and one of the habits is just to stop and speak it out loud and say, I trust you, Lord, and I have confidence in the plans you have for me today. Speaking to ourselves the truth that God has is critically important, more important than listening to what arbitrarily comes to us. Say thank you to God is number four. I love what Michael Ramsey says. He says it this way. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. Remember that one. Thankfulness is a soil in which pride does not easily grow. So the converse is true. It is true in this situation. An ungrateful person is a proudful person. Those are the two. 
thankfulness. Being thankful, remembering. There are those, uh, some of the desert fathers, some of the others for, from um, history ages, some of the forefathers of faith. There are those who are characterized as people that when you talk to them, they would constantly be telling you about answered prayer in their life. Being able to point out little things all the time. And you say, where's that coming from? Oh, I prayed for this and that. Where most of us are seeing the unanswered prayer. The ones that's not now. But the thankful heart is one that's seeing, I'm alive again today. And I still see who Jesus is. I still understand him. I still have his word. And God is still protecting. And he's still giving me a family. And I still got a roof over my head. And God has given me these things. God is there for me. He is there. I see him working. I see him working in the difficulties. I see him even working in the things that are prodding me. I see him working in the difficult relationships. The thankfulness. If we're not seeing and walking around as individuals who can say that, our thankfulness probably needs some work. And if we're truly ungrateful, we are walking in pride. Say thank you to God. Number five, study scripture. See and meditate on Christ's humility. Teresa of Avila says it nicely. By meditating on Christ's humility, we will see how far we are from being humble. We cannot go through this lesson without going into Philippians chapter two, if you will, the great passage on humility. So let's just read a little bit of it. Chapter 2, this is what she's talking about when she's saying, if we go into Scripture and look at it, it says it this way. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right here, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So taking on Christ's mind, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want a homework assignment? Read that like 20 times. Just read it. Just read it like 20 times. If you like a little bit of soothing music in the background, I really don't care. But having that as a meditation continually will do something to us. The word is powerful and it is sharp. And when we meditate on it, we will find what we are looking for. Last one, turn it all over to God. Since we're right there in Philippians, we gotta read it. Philippians 4, many of you know this, verses six and seven. Paul saying it this way here, he's shifting gears a little, but it's a continual theme to the church here at Philippi. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here is the command and here is the promise. Isn't God a wonderful command and promise? The promise, verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You want an attribute that helps us with humility? Lord, I am worried about this. It is overwhelming my thoughts. So I'm going to pause and I'm going to transfer it from this bucket, which is my bucket, to your bucket. You're responsible for your bucket. My bucket is also going in your bucket. So from now on, I am not responsible for anything. We laugh a little, right? Because it's funny, like we're going to sit here and say, God, I don't have a bucket anymore. But if we could live without a bucket of responsibility, we could live carefree. People say, you shouldn't live carefree. You should be careful. Nonsense. We should be carefree. We should be careless. Careless in Christ. He has our life. He knows our future. He has great plans for us. He's more worried about my next Tuesday than I am. And he's got success in mind for me. Whatever is troubling me, whatever is ailing me, turn it over to him. And he will grant us what? Say it, congregations. Come on, say it together. What are we going to have? Peace. Turn it all over to God. So if we are able by God's grace, what God calls us to do, he equips us to do, right? This is not a calling that cannot be attained. Maybe not fully, but in proportion. Here's how it can look like. Humility in action. Quickly, we can look maybe in a mirror or others can look in a mirror of our life and see magnifying glass of our life. They will see this. Seven attributes or evidences of it. Number one, we can handle unfairness. A lot of things in life are going to be unfair. And a lot of things to us are going to be unfair. We just need to say amen. That's in God's bucket. And if it's in his bucket, we can handle unfairness. That doesn't mean we don't recognize it. That's not the doormat again. When someone says, was that fair? No, that was not fair. That's okay. And what are you going to do about that? I'm, going to, I'm okay with that. But you just admitted that was unfair. I, I agree. It was very unfair. God's got it. So how can, I believe that that's an attribute of humility. It's okay. I saw it. I understand it. I'm not blind. I'm not naive. I'm not silly. But I'm okay. Not so quick to defend. People love to attack our ideas and our best things. I think an attitude of humility is like, okay, no need to defend ourselves. Do our best, give it our best, and then leave it over to the Lord. Criticism. How would a humble person react to somebody actually criticizing them? Constructive or not, either way, unconstructive or constructive, I think we would learn from it. Say thank you. I appreciate it. Because now I see what other people might think. I might see how it might be perceived. I might see a blind spot in my life. That's good. That's a good thing. Not rage against it. It can be self-aware. A humble individual is able to see the warts in our own life. Is able to see our sin. And is able, by God's grace, to know our frailties, our tendencies that are not helpful. Number five, is able to ask for forgiveness. That's a tough one. When you have to go to somebody and say, I have wronged you. I did specifically this thing and it was offense to you and to God and it is my sin. I'd love to ask for your forgiveness. 
We try to do it in about one-tenth that time normally. You know, you know that thing, I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's the easy way out. Do it the slow way. Look them in the eye and tell them, it is my sin. I did this. I did it to you. Please forgive me. That's, that's a different kind of thing. That takes humility. And the reverse of that, if you want to study it out, you can in Colossians 3. For the sake of time, we'll leave it. It is at being able to forgive. Because God forgave us. And if we're sitting by the cross and we understand the depth that we've been forgiven, holding grudges, holding on to things, we forgive it. That's a different issue than also, you know, getting involved in the same people all the time. That's another issue. That's a different issue of wisdom, of discernment. But forgiveness is one of humility. And as we said, walking around in joy and in peace. The confidence of God. This is not going to be easy. We're going to have to want it. We're going to have to study hard for it. We're going to have to talk to God daily. But he will help us. It is for his glory and for his sake that he wants to perfect us in this way. Let us bow together and pray to our Father. Father God, we choose today to bend our knee again because we realize that you are Lord, you are sovereign, and we are your creatures. Lord, we know and are convicted of our sin. We are convicted, Lord, of our ongoing pride, our battle with our nature. But we know we have your power, we know we have your victory, but we know we still have the presence of sin in this life. Well, we ask you to make this wisdom attribute of humility real in our lives, to take us from here, to convict us, to draw us into a life where we can meditate on your holiness, on your beauty. Lord, let us think appropriately of ourselves, that you love me intimately, that you gave your life for me, that I am worthy in your mind of coming and dying, that we could be together in relationship forever. But in that way, Lord, let me understand that it is nothing that I did, and it is not in my worthiness, but that it is in your mercy, and it is your worthiness, and in your holiness. Lord, help us live in humility so that the world can see how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.